0: Christ community, my name is Matt Holdsworth, and I'll be reading our scripture for today. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, there should be a blue Bible in one of the seats in front of you. Our passage today comes from John 15, verses 1 through 8. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Thank you. You may be seated. Please take a moment to reflect silently on God's word.
1: Well, good morning, Christ Community Church. If you don't know me, my name is David Heinrichs. I'm on staff here. One of the pastors. I've been here since 2006 on staff, and have enjoyed uh, the journey. Uh, as you know, Paul Phillips is on sabbatical still, um, and I've mentioned his Sabbath rest many times. As pastors have a difficult time to rest on Sunday, but let me um, let me give you another a little bit of a vision for what Paul is doing. He is working on his soul. Uh, and he's been taken offline to do it. If you think about the Brunswick nu- Nuclear Plant, uh, I know some of our members here at this church work at that plant. Um, it provides power, I was reading, to possibly a million homes if if it needs to. It just is an incredible um, plant of energy that comes out of there. And when they need to do some work on it, some parts of the plant may, it may actually go offline. But it doesn't mean that they're not working, uh, and so when, when the plant goes offline, sometimes the engineers work um, 24 hours a day. I mean, they try to work 12-hour days or s- some longer period of time so that they can get it back online. That's what Paul's doing right now. He's working on his soul, and it sounds a little bit like rest, and I'm sure that's part of it, but it also is hard work. So be praying for Paul that he's able to really sense God's vision for our church and for his own life personally. So um, The passage this morning is John 15, the first few verses there. Uh, The the whole chapter is really interesting and great. I'll refer to various parts, so keep your Bibles open as we uh, go through this wonderful passage. I love this passage for many reasons. Um, I taught this passage to the middle school group in in Shelby, North Carolina, when we went on our mission trip there, Um, and there were about 30 or 25 of us and we had a great time. We had a really good time looking at John 15. I've taught this to high school students, to the juniors and seniors ministry called Breakout. Uh, It really is a great um, passage. It's one of the most clarifying, I would say, as to um, our goals as Christians. And so young people especially need to, to scope out the rest of their life with John 15 on their minds. The sermon is broken up into three parts, God, us, them. That's the title. Um, that was my really uh, sort of winsome title, I guess, uh, creative. <laughs> God, us, them. Uh, but we're going to go backwards, starting with them. The question we're asking for each of these three categories is who? Who is them? Who is us? And who is God. Um, So to that end, let's begin. First, them. Them. Who is them in John 15? What What do I mean by them? You know, Jesus tells Christians to abide in him so we can bear fruit. And then you look at verse 16. So that's different. In verse 16, it says, the fruit you bear will also abide. So this fruit that we bear isn't just characteristics like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It also includes people who become Christians. That's the them, quote unquote, that I'm referring to. People who will become Christians. And if you look at verse 26, it becomes a little even more clear at the end of this chapter. It says, the helper comes and he will bear witness about me. And then 27, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me. In other words, you've abided, you've remained in me from the beginning. So what's happening here when we abide with Jesus? When Christians abide with Jesus, what what is the consequence of that? That is people become Christians. That is the them and that is the, the fruit, if you will, of John 15. And that is our ultimate goal. The fruit is our ultimate goal, as you can see. You know, vines and vineyards are all over the Bible. I mean, a lot of different places have it, especially in the, the synoptic gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In, for example, Matthew 21, Matthew 20, Luke 13, Luke 20, Mark 12. It has all these places where vines and vineyards are described. And all of these are stories. There was a vineyard owner, and there were workers, and it's like a story with a storyline. And there's two important things that are in common about those vines and vineyards and other passages in the Gospels. And that is that the vineyard represents Israel. Israel, like the, the people of God in the Old Testament. And then secondly, they don't produce fruit. And Jesus is talking about this. Hey, there's a vineyard. And it doesn't produce fruit. And that's frustrating to the owner of the vineyard. And so bad things happen to the vineyard. But now in verse in chapter 15 of John, even in verse 1, things change. The story, the description, it changes. And it's striking once you see it. It says Jesus is the true vine, the true vine of the vineyard. Not like Israel, the failing, worthless vine, but Jesus is the true vine. he's going to actually make, at long last, he's going to make fruit grow. So the whole point of the vineyard is fruit. Notice it's not merely decorative or shade like many gardens are. It's not like uh, the English garden you can imagine maybe in Downton Abbey in that show where there's a castle and a beautiful garden where you can walk in a Beautiful and cool place. That is not the description we get with the vineyard. It's not merely beautiful, but it is designed to be productive. That's the key, I think, to understanding uh, John 15 and, and our role in God's kingdom. As a church, we are not just decorative or beautiful representations of God's glory, for for the sake of beauty alone. We are not just beautiful music or beautiful artwork or beautiful buildings, beautiful dressed people. We are not just beautiful, but we are productive. And that that is a mind shift when you think of it that way. When you think of the church as a decorative garden, you, you think of certain things that would go here and certain things that wouldn't. But if you think of ourselves as a vineyard whose only goal is to produce fruit, whether we look good or not... If we produce good fruit, then we win. That's, that's the point. Then it, it, it really changes the way you think about our church. But one of the greatest questions I can ask my youth leaders in youth ministry and the band members in the worship team is, is not is it beautiful, is it cool, is it fun, but more is it useful? Is, is what the song we just sang, you know, as pretty as it is, as cool as the band may sound or whatever, is it useful to produce fruit? Is the slip and slide that we do with the youth ministry or going bowling or the electric guitar that wails, you know, really loud for typical youth ministry bands and stuff, is that useful to produce fruit? That's a clarifying question that I think really helps us. And it's about, it's about them. If there's no them, there's no fruit. And the vineyard is just like the failing vineyards that Jesus has constantly talked about in the, in the Gospels. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 23. A lot of you know this passage. He's talking to the teachers of the law. And he says, woe to you, teachers of the law. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. See what he's saying? Those two words, very powerful, very disturbing, whitewashed Meaning beautiful tombs. Because inside there are dead man's bones. In other words, you look great, but there's no fruit. And John 15 says that Jesus is the true vine, and if we as a church connect to him, we will see fruit. So so what about that? Christ's community. Is there fruit? that leads us to the next, the us part. It makes us think, okay, what about us? What what is going on here in this church? And what is going on in your own personal life? This is an especially convicting uh, segment here of this sermon. Um, I was convicted writing it, and I think you'll feel the same way I did. Are you one of us? In other words, are you a branch that is connected to the true vine, that bears fruit? Or are you a branch that seems like you're here in the vineyard, but you're not connected to the true vine and you're not producing any fruit? That's the key here to understand, I think, this passage. Does Christ's community produce any fruit? I, I think it's a, a very sobering thought, especially when you read Jesus' words. Jesus is leading us by the hand to this thought. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. When I, when I think of Jesus, I think of open arms. I think of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus saying, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I, I see that. But Jesus presents himself and God differently here. If you're a branch that doesn't produce fruit, you're going to wither. And you're, he's gonna he's gonna throw you away, and it gets worse. You're not just gonna be cast away. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. You either produce fruit, or you burn. That does that not that that's extreme. And I and I I hesitate to say it as strongly as that, but that is exactly what Jesus is leading us to consider. That's extreme. Are you a dead branch? Are you producing fruit? In other words, are you part of someone's testimony? Uh, Is your life helping someone else become a Christian? To see the gospel, to become, to to be discipled or trained in how to pray and how to to understand God and how to hear his voice. Is there any fruit in your life? Would any person point to you and say, You're the reason why I know Jesus. You're the reason why my life is so different. And if if the answer is no, I want you to take a moment, not follow me in this. I mean, I'm with you. Follow Jesus. Are you a dead branch? The reason I say it as strongly as I'm saying it is that religious people are the audience of John 15. In other words, people who think they're one of us but they're not. The whitewashed tombs, those are the people Jesus is looking out and saying, here's my disciples, and here's a vast number of people, and I'm just going to say this to all of you, just like I'm saying it to all of us this morning. And he says in Matthew 7, remember what he says, Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, do many mighty works in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. That's the the moving away from Jesus. He's going to throw away and burn those dead branches. But the key to Matthew 7 is that these people are surprised. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and, and be surprised. And the thing is, religious people have a hard time seeing it. So that's why Jesus is saying that so strongly. There's a fire in John 15, and it's a destructive fire, and it's for those dead and withered branches. So, so slow down, take heed, take a close look here, ask yourself, am I one of those, that he, us, a live branch that produces fruit? When Jesus talks about these branches that produce fruit, he uses words in some translations are remain in me and you'll bear much fruit or abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the key here is, is remaining in or abiding in Christ. And that's the question we're asking ourselves this morning. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you connected to Jesus? Well that leads us to God and his part. Who is God? Who is us, who is them, and then who is who is God in this passage in John fifteen? And you know how we know God is really by what he says of himself and, and what he does. So in this passage, we see some of these things happening. First, um, you know, you you, you look at John 15, and you really get the Trinity. All members of the Trinity are present in John 15. Uh, And you can see um, the Holy Spirit back in the very last uh, verse that I read earlier. The Helper comes. And then he will bear witness and you will bear witness. It's interesting that when he bears witness and you bear witness, it's not two separate events. It really is the same event, like the tongues of Pentecost. They landed on men who spoke. The Bible is men inspired by the Holy Spirit who wrote. So you and I, when we bear witness to them producing fruit, the Spirit is with us doing that. So that's a very interesting concept with the Spirit. But really, in the passage that Matt read this morning, the first part of John 15, we see God the Son and God the Father. And Let's start with God the Son. He says he's the true vine. All the other vines in the past have failed. Um, It's interesting. You think about the failed vines of Israel. Um, There never really was an evangelism program in Israel, right? There there never was an an outreach program that was very clearly defined and and kind of, you know, something they put a lot of energy behind. They didn't have this four spiritual law booklets or uh, missionaries supported by local bodies or local churches or tribes, Um, They never had evangelism explosion. Israel never had apologetics conferences for the nations that surrounded them. There was never the Jewish Billy Graham hosting massive gatherings for people to come and hear how great God is. Instead, they had prophets. And they did have a few scattered slaves living in exile. And that's just about it. I I will say there's one exception. It's a great example of a missionary in the Old Testament. And that's Jonah. And you know how reluctant he was. So the old vine didn't work. And then Jesus comes and says, Okay, guys, it's time for the true vine to come and true fruit to start being born and, and grown here. This vineyard is going to produce some great fruit. So, so God the Son comes in. There's a couple of things when you think about the metaphor he uses. A branch and then a vine. The vine kind of has connection to the roots the vine grows out, and then the, the branch grows from the vine. Now, coming out of the vine, the branch needs two things. Just, you know, biologically, it needs DNA instructions for the kind of fruit. We grow in an apple, a peach, a watermelon. I don't think they grow on vines. But what kind of fruit am I growing on this particular branch? So you get some instructions. The same way Jesus will guide you. You don't have to figure this out. You can make your plans. I know this from years of youth ministry events and and songs that we sing up here, and even sermons that I preach. I, I have a great plan. I, I literally write every word that I say. I try to get a real good plan for all the trips that I take, and I know every minute of every day. But, but I know that God is ultimate. He's responsible for all that. The instructions, I know, I plan heavy, and then I, I loosely, like I'm, I'm spontaneous. Where. Is God leading? Where is the spirit moving? And a lot of times that comes last minute. When I think I've got my plan, God says, nope, go left. Not right, go left. And I, and I have to change gears. God will give you the instructions. And here's another thing. In the writing of the sermon this week, there were a hundred times when I was like, I'm stuck. I can't think. And then God just pushed this idea into me. It was like, oh, that's a great, yeah, I'll do, yeah, let's do that. The same way you and I, when you're at work or with your neighbors or friends that don't know Christ, the instructions of what you're going to say and how you're going to act and what you're going to do to sort of get their attention and and explain things clearly. And what does this particular person need? Do they need more understanding about sin or more understanding about there's a God or more understanding of there's a, a savior which part, or maybe all, and where do I start? All of that instruction will come to you. So, so relax. Those instructions will come from the vine if you're connected. Secondly, a fruit needs nourishment. Comes from the roots, up through the vine, through the branch, and into the fruit. Nourishment. Everything you need to produce fruit comes from God. Everything you need. Boldness, if you're scared. Energy and motivation and passion, if you're lazy. Time, if you're busy. All of those things will come from the vine to you. Knowledge, depth of insight, love. Have you ever thought about loving someone sacrificially? It hurts. That nourishment, that energy, that motivation will come from the vine. That's why branches that aren't connected to the vine wither because they don't have any of that nourishment, and they have no idea what they're doing. They have no instructions at all. So everything you need to grow and produce fruit comes from the vine. Here's a good sort of way to think about this. It's another reason I love this passage. Uh, It it says, I'm going to find it. I forgot which verse. Give me just a second. If I hadn't done VBS, I would have written the verse down, but now I don't even know where it is. It's, it's the ask me anything, there it is, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, okay, I, I'm just going to read verse 7 again. Here we go. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, there it is. Ask whatever you wish. That's the part I want right there. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I'm just going to write that section of verse 7 on, on, a, on a placard and put it on my wall. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Is that really true? that Christians can ask whatever they wish, and it will be done for you. There's some Christians that would stand up and preach that in general, like for all things. You're a child of God. He owes it to you, whatever. You just, yes, he'll do it for you. He promised it. Name it, claim it, let's do it. But the first part of verse 7 is there for a reason. If you abide in me, my words are in you. So the analogy I gave the middle school students is Hannah Surratt. I don't know if she's, I think she's upstairs with the college students, so I'm safe. Um, this is not bad for her, actually. It's, it's a good one. So Hannah Surratt texts me on Tuesday. Let's just pretend she did this. Text me on Tuesday. Hey, uh, I need $20 for gas. It's a normal, random Tuesday. I get a text. Hey, I need $20 in gas. What are my questions for her? Wow. Uh, okay, first of all, why are you texting me? You need $20 in gas. You're technically, what am I, your, your gas provider? I mean, is that what I am right now? And, and why don't you have $20? The church pays you a healthy salary. I mean, come on, you want a raise? Is that what you're saying? I don't understand any of what she's saying Tuesday afternoon, just a random, t- I need $20 for gas, right? Because Hannah Serrat and I are not in sync. We're not on mission together in that moment. But on a youth trip, when Hannah's one of my van drivers, and she's driving from Shelby to another town to get something for the trip, and she's got kids in the back, and she texts me on that Tuesday and says, hey, I need $20 for gas. What do I do? I don't have any questions at all. I know exactly why she's texting me that. And I want to give her $20 really, really fast. Because if she doesn't have $20 for gas, her and her kids are going to be stuck on the side of the road. Do you all see that? We're on mission together. We're abiding in each other. Our words are in each other. We're, like, we're together on mission together. And so in the same way, if you're on mission with God, and here's the mission, God is trying to produce fruit. And if you're on mission with God to produce fruit in that Ask anything you want and it'll be done for you because you will have, you would have taken his passion and made it yours, his desires, and make it yours. Now, this gets to the last section of our, our sermon. This is God the Father. You and I are going to obviously look at this great task of growing fruit and we're going to feel inadequate. I don't know that anyone in this room feels like, yeah, I'm good, if you're a Christian and you're hearing my words, are you producing fruit? Are people becoming Christians around you? Is your life encouraging others to grow in their faith? Yeah. So, in that moment, of course, God is going to prune things. God the Father is a vine dresser, and He gathers the withered ones and burns them. We've talked about that. That's super scary. I hope I'm not one of those. I'm, I'm not one of those. I know I'm, I'm connected to Christ. But the ones that are connected to Christ, notice, it's the same thing that happens. There's no fire, but the only thing that God the Father is described to do in John 15 is cut. That's the one thing he does. He cuts those who are dead and burns them. And those who are alive and producing fruit, he cuts them, but for a very different reason. That's the consuming fire. This is pruning. That's different. This is a good pain. And it doesn't feel good at first. It actually feels the same, (laughs) but it it, it's a good pain. It leads to some growth and it leads to fruit. And that's that's what you're designed for. That's when you feel most fulfilled in your life, is when God prunes something and, and you grow and you're like, yes, this is what I'm designed to do. A couple of things I've noticed that God has pruned in my life and probably has in yours as well. Is uh, the first thing I would say is sin. These are things that just have to be pruned. They're sinful things. They're good things that become God things and you worship them as God. They're idols. They're, they're things that you just overlove. You love them way too much. And they're just, they're sinful. And immediately, God's going to say, cut that. And that hurts. It's not easy. It's, you know what's not easy about that part? Is to see it. It's not easy to see the sin that needs to be cut out of your life because I'm really good at rationalizing and justifying my sin. So I need the people of God. I need the word of God. I need this book. I need the spirit of God to come and to identify in me the idols, the things that need to be cut, the sin that needs to be pruned off. So what is it for you? I know one or two sins just popped into your brain just like they did for me. And it's, it's, it's something that needs to be cut, and God the Father will prune it. Second, great, healthy, wonderful things must also be pruned. Not all of them, and not the same for each person. But these are things that you look at and are like, that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. That's not a bad thing at all. It's a it's actually good, and yet it needs to be pruned. Here's an example, kind of a, an obvious example. If you think about the Lawrences in the Middle East, what does it take for their family to share Christ in the Middle East? They cut off all other hopes of a career, their friends and family in America, um, a really awesome you know, salary or anything like that. Living in Wilmington, their kids and they come home and they, I love Wilmington, now we have to leave. And they love the Middle East, but they, they're torn, you see. It's just easy for us to see the things that they're sacrificing. But what about for you? What is the good thing? If you're on mission with God and you're going to produce fruit, what, what are you going to have to cut off in order to make that happen? I see it happen a lot with teenagers who then become leaders or young college students who then kind of grow through the process of leading in the youth ministry. I'll give you two examples. These are the areas I work in. First, Kelly Spitel used to be Brogdon. When she came. She was a sophomore, and she got involved in the youth ministry, and she told me she was going to be a dentist, or at least work in the medical profession, maybe a a a PA, and she was going to work in the medical field. She had no interest in ministry, and she almost turned me down for volunteering three hours a week. But then she saw the gospel at Christ Community, I think for the first time in her life, and she just opened up her life and, and, and once she saw the gospel, she just, her life completely transformed. And, and what she ended up giving up is a career in the medical field. And I remember the day when that happened. It was kind of a process. And then that day she said, it's over. I'm giving this up. And it was so incredibly hard for her to make that move. But it was a good pain because she walked into a ministry position that she felt was her calling and was a great move uh, for her, it's same as Hannah Surratt. Y'all know Hannah Surratt. I'm gonna pick on her again. She was gonna be a teacher. It's a good thing to be a teacher. I'm not saying it's sinful to be a teacher. I was a teacher. There's there's a case in point right there. But I see a lot of teachers out there. A lot of good people are good teachers. But for Hannah Surratt, that had to be pruned in order for her to follow God's call. See, it's different for every person. It's not the same for you. You might not have to give up your career. But you have to lay it on the altar. You have to be willing for it to be pruned. That's the point. Open your life up and see what God prunes. I know it's scary. I know you think you're going to lose something you love, but you're always going to get something you love more. My daughter's another example. I'll brag on my daughter for a second. She's a a rising senior in high school, and a lot of her friends uh, are graduating, going off to college, and she feels like, oh, my peers are kind of going, and a lot of the seniors... I know Jackson here. A lot of seniors feel that way, like all my, you know, peer friends are going off, and I'm, I'm kind of the only one. Well, Hope, Hope lost. That was a loss for her. It was something God pruned. Okay, your Christian peer friends are, are kind of, some of them are going, and that's a pruning. But then she turned around, and she said, well, what, what does God want me to do? And because of that pruning, she identified rising ninth graders, rising tenth graders, the younger girls in the high school ministry, and she takes them in her car over to Plato's co- co- Closet, I think, or Krispy Kreme. I think Sarah was in there. <laughs> so yeah, she loved, she came home and she was so excited. She was so excited to just be friends with these younger girls, and I'm like, yes, that's what God wants. He wants that kind of growth, but he's got to prune something as small as that. And what it is, what is is it for you? What, what is God going to prune? So you have to say no to, so you can say yes to something else. Now, here's the key. I've said that three times. Here's the key, the key key of this passage. And it's one word, remain. That's what your job is. All these other things happening out there, right? You are responsible to remain, to stay connected. That's it. That's all you just hold on to that branch or that vine as a branch. Just hold on. And all those things, the instructions and the pruning and the nourishment and all of the fruit growing and all that's just going to happen. In other words, you don't have to be anxious or worried. I absolutely love the lines in the, uh, the songs that we sing, a couple of them. One is a good and gracious king. Just listen to this. It's from last week. We sang this. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome, I lift my voice, to the king in need of nothing. Empty-handed, I rejoice. You see that? I'm just remaining. I'm staying. That's all I'm doing. Empty-handed. I have nothing. <laughs> and the, the song we sang this morning, just, just, Jesse just sang this. This is, let not your conscience make you linger, right? Or your fitness fondly dream. I mean, if you tarry until you're better, you'll never come at all. These are words that are reminding us that, yes, you don't produce enough fruit. Yes, you're one of those withering branches. Yes, of course you are. Conduct yourself to the vine, and it'll happen. That's all you have to do is remain in America, we want to enterprise, we want to build, we want to plan, we want to execute, we want to debrief and improve and enhance and keep moving. And there's, I mean, if I just sense the anxiety in this room of your life, just relax and remain in Christ. And all the fruit that needs to be grown will be grown. Let's pray together. Father, we are gripped by this terrible idea of a burning fire, dead branches. May not one soul in this room be in that number. I pray that you would inspire us to take a fresh look at our lives, who we are, and who we're connected to. God, help us to remain in you, to stay connected to you. And when that fruit grows, We pray that that fruit would also abide, stay connected to you. God, we pray that we could rejoice with the joy of the gospel. May this vineyard of Christ's community and this vineyard of each individual individual person here produce great fruit. And ultimately, give you the glory, the greater glory that you deserve. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.